The one thing that I can speak of in hockey is that there really is this focus on team. And you're almost ostracized from the sport if you are a selfish individual. And I love that. I think that's such a great piece of our sport is that it is such a selfless culture. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Topher Scott, founder of the Hockey Think Tank. Topher played hockey at Cornell University, where he was a two-year captain. After a brief stint playing professionally, he went on to be a Division I assistant coach for six years at Miami of Ohio and Cornell. Topher currently works with organizations from youth to college levels in team building and hockey development. The Hockey Think Tank provides a platform for connecting people that are passionate about the game of hockey, and it provides a unique opportunity for dedicated coaches, players, and parents to gain and share hockey knowledge. Topher has created a community of people that are fans, players, and students of the game of hockey and are working diligently to grow the game, which is something, as you know, I am passionate about too. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I am with Topher Scott, the founder of the Hockey Think Tank. And as everybody knows, I love hockey. So welcome to the show, Topher. Yeah, pumped to be here. Let's do it. As my audience knows, I played hockey. My kids play hockey. I love talking hockey. So anytime I could fit that in the show, it's a pleasure. So I want to give people a sense of who you are and how you got here. Can you tell people about your path to founding the Hockey Think Tank? Yeah, sure. I mean, hockey's been my life, my entire life for the most part. I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, I grew up in Chicago and grew up in a hockey family. Dad played, mom's brothers played, all that kind of stuff. And it's led me to some pretty cool places. Got the chance to play hockey at Cornell University for four years. Then after that, got to play a couple of years, kind of like low-level professional hockey, and then got really lucky and was able to get my master's degree and, and be a graduate assistant coach at Miami of Ohio for a year. After that, went back to my alma mater, Cornell, coached for five years as an assistant coach, and then decided to kind of give that up to be a little bit more present at, at home, doing a lot of recruiting, so a lot of time on the road, and we were getting ready to have a family, so left that and ended up starting the Hockey Think Tank, which is a company that just tries to bring a lot of smart and passionate hockey people together to make the game better, and it's been a lot of fun and obviously led me to here, so I'm really excited to be able to talk some hockey with you here today. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you hit on a lot of points there that I think unless you're in the hockey community and a hockey family either play or have kids, people don't understand that it's so much more than a sport. It's more of a lifestyle. When my kids watched me playing hockey and then decided at a very early age that they wanted to play, I remember looking at my wife and I said, do you know what we're in for? I said, with two boys playing, I said, that means we're not going to be seeing each other a lot on weekends. (laughs) And you had to educate her and show her that it was more of a lifestyle and you really have to buy in as a family to it. You really do. 100%. It is a uh, family 
sport that with a lot of sacrifices and it can get pretty crazy at times. There's no question about that. But uh, it's funny. I was talking with my parents about this just recently. It's almost like the craziness brought you together even more because you're going through so many ups and downs and there is so many sacrifices. And at the end of the day, those are the things that create the bond. So have so many special teammates, so so many special people that have kind of helped me along the way and wouldn't have pretty much all of the things that I have today without the sport. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you brought up is something that I say very often when my kids started playing the sport. We never talked about going to the NHL. We never talked about hopefully maybe carving a path to get them into a better school than they ordinarily would have gotten into. I always focused on the game of hockey. I played through college, which was Binghamton, and didn't go past that. But I always talk about how the people that I've met along the way and the relationships and the opportunities that I've had along the way just because of the sport. I didn't have to make it to the NHL. It was fantastic just having those experiences and enjoying those friendships along the way, which is great. Yeah, totally. I mean, we live in a world where it's very hard to be present. And uh, what's the line from The Office? It's like something to the effect of, I wish I knew I was back in the old days <laughs> because right, right. I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, you're totally right. It's sometimes we get caught up in the fluff of it, of like the quote unquote making it or the craziness that goes with making teams and making sure that just whatever, yeah. that we forget to enjoy the present. And there's a lot to enjoy about the present when it comes to the sport. That's for sure. 100%. Can you tell me a little bit or tell the listeners, what's the hockey think tank all about? What's the uh, the driving force there and what are you providing? So the biggest thing is just trying to create and provide a lot of hockey educational content. When I was a Division One assistant coach at Cornell, you obviously get a chance to talk to a lot of people around the U.S. and Canada and even in Europe just about hockey and specifically youth hockey because those are the kids that we're recruiting to come to our school. And one of the biggest things that we really felt or that I really felt in my communication with so many different people in the sport was there was just this major need for coach and parent education. Both of them, I think, we do uh, not a very good job of just educating people on what the game is about and why it's important. I think, again, we get so caught up in the wins and losses and we get so caught up in all the BS regarding youth sports. And I don't think that's a youth hockey problem. I think that's a youth sports problem. Agreed. That we kind of forget about the things that are really important. Learning to be a part of a team and creating a passion for yourself and learning how to hit adversity and building resiliency, all the things that will help us later in life, learning how to be a good teammate. I mean, all those things are so important for all of our human development. And so we've kind of taken a lot of that kind of like hockey culture type stuff. We've packaged that together with a lot of specific kind of hockey stuff, systems and hockey development, skill development, all that. And we tried to just do as best we can to get the word out and educate people on the ins and outs of the game. Yeah, I think it's important. You know, it's one thing to play the game. It's another thing to understand what you're really trying to get out of this thing and what those real benefits are. And I think you guys do a good job of doing that. What are the top three things that you and the think tank are really trying to impart upon youth hockey players today? I think the most important thing is that everybody has a different path. There's not one path to, you know, most of the kids that are playing have dreams and aspirations of doing some pretty cool things in this sport. And everybody's got a different path. There's always going to be the early matures who have been the best players on their team forever. And that's what I think youth sports really kind of magnifies is those kids. But at the end of the day, most of the people that end up playing at the highest levels, like they don't take that straight and narrow path. They're filled with a lot of ups and downs and being cut and learning how to fail and going through the good times and the bad times and weaving 
get through so much of what the youth hockey experience has to offer that I think the biggest thing is just everybody has a different path. And then I guess number two, kind of going along with that is like that path is rarely ever like straight, like I said. Without bumps, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's life. A hundred percent, right? And the more that we can amplify how important it is to fail, the more we can amplify the importance of resiliency and battling adversity and how important like having the right support system around us is to getting that resiliency muscle that we all need to build. I think that's another one. And then I guess number three going along with that is just surround yourself with really good people. That's probably the most important thing that you can do, whether you're a parent and you're trying to figure out this whole crazy youth hockey landscape, whether you're a coach and you need other good coaches around you to make your job a little bit easier and to make it better for the kids because we don't know everything as coaches. And then as players, especially these kids, like especially when you get to like the teenage years, and this is one of the things that I talk about in my team building all the time is like, you are the direct reflection of the five people that you surround yourself with the most. And right. so choose your friends wisely because if you don't, you're making a huge mistake. And if you do, you're putting yourself on a path that if you have dreams and hopes and aspirations, you're going to much better be able to achieve those things if you have the right people in your corner. Yeah, I agree. And I think we've seen it recently, even in at the NHL level with certain individuals that have surrounded themselves with the wrong people and found themselves in hot water and losing opportunities to continue their career and no longer a member of a team, for example, which is a shame, but it happens. So yeah. I think those are very good lessons, not only for hockey, but for life, because being a reflection of your top five friends is not something that just goes away in youth hockey. And when you go to college, it continues for life, even in the real world, so to speak, and while you're working towards and in your career. What are the top things you're trying to impart upon parents? Because they're obviously a big part of this, especially up until the point where these kids can drive and kind of take care of themselves. They're really in control in a lot of senses with regard to the trajectory of these youth hockey players. So what are the top things that you're trying to impart upon them as they navigate this journey? I think the biggest one is just reminding parents about their why and almost like asking them, why did they put their kids in youth sports? It's not to get to the NHL every single time. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> well, people get caught up in that. That's for sure. No, they really do. I call it the machine and the machine is alive and well and youth sports, but youth hockey in particular has become so professionalized at such a young age that parents get caught up with this machine and there's a real, real problem of FOMO, of fear of missing oh, yeah. out. You know, like if I'm not putting my kid on this team or in this tournament or with this coach, or whatever at the age of 10, then I'm not providing them the opportunity and their hockey career is over. And it's like, well, no, that's not really the case. And even if you look at the numbers, that's not the case. You know, the average age of a kid going to college to play Division One hockey or Division Three hockey is 20 years old. Right. So you got time. So when you think about it, and it goes back to what we were talking about before, just continually asking the parents, like when they were four, five, six, seven years old, why did you put them in youth sports? to make friends and right. to teach them life lessons and to get a little bit of exercise so they can be healthy. Like that's why we put our kids in youth sports, but then you get caught up in the machine. And if your kid happens to be a pretty good player at, at a certain age, then you really get caught up in a lot of the BS that youth sports kind of 
that just exemplifies. And so if for me, it's really just about like reminding parents why they put their kids in youth sports, reminding parents that at the end of the day, there's such a small percentage of kids that end up quote unquote making it, whatever making it means. Right. And that the things that they're learning and the values that you're instilling in these kids while they're going through the youth sports experience, like that's what's most important. At the end of the day, even the most lucky and the most talented of people play professional sports until they're 25 to 30 years old. And so that's a lot of life to live afterwards. So what kind of mental (laughs) health perspective are you putting your kids in as they're trying to attain those dreams? Yeah, that's actually become a big topic in recent times with regard to even the professional players, because the careers are not everybody's a Sedan Ochara where they can play for 20 plus years and at the age of 40 something still be effective. Most players play five to 10 years, average lifespan of a career. And there's been a lot of talk about what happens to a professional athlete, not only hockey, other other sports as well are struggling with this. What happens to their mental stability when that time comes to an end? And there's been a lot of talk about helping them and helping them create good mental health and mental health habits so that when their career does come to an end, that they don't feel like it's the end, so to speak. A hundred percent. And I think what we get wrapped in as elite players is our only identity is as a hockey player. And I think a lot of players, once they get done playing, they really struggle with that because all they've ever known is how to be a hockey player. Right, And again, that kind of gets perpetuated in the youth hockey circuit too, because we're kind of putting so much pressure on these kids to be elite hockey players at such a young age that they're already seeing and seeing their identity as just that, right? And so you look at, and it's not just hockey players, professional athletes or even people in business, you know, if your only identity is one thing... I'm a successful lawyer, or I'm a successful hockey player, I'm a successful financial planner, whatever. If that's all you are, like you're in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to have other interests. You have to have other people that can challenge you in other ways. And I think that's that's what a lot of the research is showing us, especially we've had people on our podcast that are involved in the NHLPA. And that's something they're talking about a lot with the NHL players right now is like yes. have other interests. And they've even done studies now that show that when you do have other interests other than hockey, even when your job is being a hockey player, you're going to be better at hockey by having other interests because you're not so tunnel vision on one thing and putting so much pressure on yourself. And I think that's something that translates across all disciplines and translates across all different careers. You're right. I mean, you're just a little bit looser, not as anxious about what's going to happen. So I I agree with you a thousand percent. You've become an icon with youth players and uh, taught them many great things through your workshops that I know I've, I've been present at one and your website. But at the same time, I would think that there's been some learning on your end. Have you learned from the youth players themselves that you've spoken with? I talk a lot about the mentor-mentee relationship a lot. And you know, a lot of talk, people talk about having a mentor and how important that is. And I find being a mentor a lot of times, I get a lot of value from the mentee. So I would assume that translates here as well. What are some of the things that you've taken away? Well, first of all, I think your point on mentorship, I couldn't agree with you more. I think when it comes to team building and when it comes to everything that we're talking about right now, and mentorship is everything. I think we can all go back in our experiences and kind of like think of both good and bad mentors that we've had and also like how much of a profound impact those mentors have had on us both for the good and for the bad as well so again like choosing the people that you're around that's such an important thing i think the biggest thing that i've learned from kids It's hard, but like I struggle with this too. I think so many kids nowadays care so much about what other people think about them. 
And I think that really holds a lot of kids back. And so as a coach, I've really taken it upon myself and trying to talk to as many coaches as I can. Like the best thing that we can do for the kids is to help them kind of understand who they are and bring out the best version of themselves. Right. And that's a hard thing to do because you have to invest a lot of time and energy into the relationship building side of the mentorship that you're doing. Right. And when you have 20 kids on a team, that really takes a lot of time to have to do that. But I think that's one thing that, especially with social media nowadays, and again, how much professionalized things have become, like there are a lot of kids that have major issues with caring a lot about the feedback from people mm-hmm. that don't matter. <laughs> and, that makes and, yeah. Sense. And it probably has driven kids out of the sport that ordinarily yeah. would have been or could have been successful, but they just didn't want to deal with that aspect of things. And it's a shame. Yeah. It's yeah. a shame. And I've told, like, I've told my kids, I coach a, a bunch of 17 year olds. I say, guys, like, I thank God every day that I didn't grow up in your era. Yeah. Right. I just missed the social media revolution. And I was a kid that really cared a lot about what other people thought. And in college, I was reading the newspaper clip things. And if the reporters were ripping my play and stuff, it really got to me. Or on the other side, if they're really praising the stuff that I was doing, like my self-worth was almost like vindicated or not based upon what they were saying. And geez, with social media where that's ever present all over the place, I don't know how I would have handled that. Yeah. I mean, they talk about that all the time, even at the NHL ranks, right? Guys yeah. who are real successful. And then they come to cities like New York or Toronto or Montreal, really hockey hubs. And then all of a sudden the media starts vilifying them because they get into a rut or something. And then all of a sudden they come into a rut that they never get out of. And then they leave that area, go back and they're super successful because they don't have to deal with that criticism anymore. And I think you see that quite often. So if that affects NHL players, how does it affect an eight or nine or 10 year old kid it probably affects them even more so and if you look at it too it's been since 1993 since a canadian team has won the stanley cup right that's a lot of years yes it is. i've never thought about it in this way but i wonder because the canadian markets are so hard on their teams i wonder if that's like a part of it (laughs) could be maybe that's a new study for the think tank to undertake yeah there you go I've asked other people in the hockey community this, even on this show, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Do you think that there's a difference between a youth hockey player from those playing other sports? Is there something that differentiates hockey from the soccer player or the lacrosse player or the baseball player, for example? I'm not completely sure just because I haven't really played a lot of those other sports, like to the point where I would know kind of like what the cultures of those sports are. The one thing that I can speak of in hockey is that there really is this focus on team and you're almost ostracized from the sport if you are a selfish individual. And I love that. I think that's such a great piece of our sport is that it is such a selfless culture and that hasn't changed in however many years, even though you see some of these other sports at the highest levels where it's become very much more individualized and it's become very much more about kind of like marketing and branding. And to be honest, like I think the NHL can probably do a better job of that because I think it would... (laughs) They do have that Wii commercial, which is excellent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Absolutely. But at the same time, like there really is this culture of unity within our sport that I think is really special. And it's part of the reason why I love it so much. And you go back to it and you ask any hockey player that's not playing anymore what they miss the most. And it's that camaraderie Mm -hmm. in the room. And hockey is a hard sport. There's people literally like diving in front of 90 to 100 mile an hour pucks. (laughs) And when you go through those kinds of things, like that creates a bond between teammates that I think is really cool. So whether that's different or not than other sports, I don't really know. But I do know from talking to plenty of other people that hockey is a little bit special in that way. Yeah, I agree with you. And one thing that came out, I don't know if you know him or not, but he was on the show, Rick Nadu, who works for the New York Rangers in their community relations and development. He basically wants to get as many hockey sticks in kids' hands as possible. And I had a conversation with him about it. And the thing that he differentiated hockey from other sports, which was the first time I ever heard this, and it stuck with me, and I've probably shared this a couple of times, is he goes, if you think about all the other sports, you go to the baseball, you show up at the field, you go out on the field. You show up for soccer. You put on your shin pads. You go out there. Hockey, you show up an hour, hour and a half before you go into a locker room, a very small one usually with a bunch, you know, 15 to 20 people. And you're in there for an hour with them. And then you go play the game and then you come back and you're back in the locker room, usually for 20 minutes to an hour, depending upon the routine. And he's like, you don't have that in other sports where you're showing up early, spending such a large amount of time beforehand and afterwards in a locker room together. And that really leads to that camaraderie and that bonding and that team development. And I never heard it put that way before, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, like, you talk to any hockey player that's played at at pretty much any level, and they'll say, like, what do you miss the most? It's just being in the locker room, you know? Just hanging out and giving each other crap. And yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) My parents were never very happy with me when I was younger, because I was usually one of the last ones out of the locker room, but I think that's why. (laughs) You sound like my kids, so... yeah. One of the things that I get questioned about a lot, especially with clients and people who know me, I have a 17-year-old who's going to be going to college next year. And the question always comes, oh, is he playing college hockey, Division One, Division Three? That question always comes up. And when you start talking about the path of a hockey player versus somebody in other sports, it gets a little bit confusing. And people are like, what? So for listeners out there that may not understand about the path of a hockey player and how it differs from other athletes looking to play either D1 or D3, can you give them like a 10,000 foot view of what that looks like and how that differentiates from those other sports? Yeah, sure. I think the biggest difference is hockey. We have what's called junior hockey and junior hockey. It's almost like taking one or two gap years after you're done with high school to kind of figure out your hockey career, if that makes any sense. And so the difference is, you know, other sports have like PG years at prep school. If you're not quite ready or some other sports, they'll redshirt. So you'll actually go to the school and you'll redshirt a year. But we actually have this structure in place in hockey where you can go and play hockey almost as a professional just without getting paid. So you keep your eligibility for a couple years before you go. So typically the average college freshman is is between 19 and 20 years old at the division one level and at division three level, it's actually even higher than that. So it just gives you a couple years, whether it's one year or two years, you know, after you're done playing in high school to kind of develop and figure it out. And it does cause a lot of confusion. That's for sure. 
sure because not a, it's different in, than any other sport when it comes to that. But at the same time, I think it's actually really valuable for a lot of the kids because you're going into college one or two years more mature. And I know this as a coach at the college level, like a kid coming in at 20 years old versus a kid coming in at 18 is, is completely different. <laughs> right. Yeah. We were at a camp with my older son and somebody, a parent asked the question, you know, why are the kids coming into your school? And I think it was a D3 coach at a 20 or 21. And he's like, well, I don't want to teach him how to do his laundry. I want him here knowing how to do the laundry. I only want to work with him on his hockey. I don't want to have to deal with all the other stuff that comes with a 17 or 18 year old. Yeah, we had a kid come in. He was actually a pretty high NHL draft pick coming in as a freshman one year. (laughs) And it was really funny because in the locker room, the boys were having almost like a little bit of a celebration in the locker room and they had like cupcakes and all this kind of stuff. And we come in as coaches and we didn't know what was going on. And we're like, what's going on? And they're like, I won't say the kid's name, but he's like, he learned how to boil an egg for the first time. (laughs) And he was a true freshman, 18 year old, you know, always had his laundry done for him, like you said, and always had meals prepared and all that. And he was learning to become a young man. And it took him some time. It took him some time to be able to do that, getting away from mom and dad for the first time. But yeah, just having some of those experiences where you're on your own and you got to kind of figure life out and go through some of those ups and downs like we talked about. It can be very valuable for a kid coming into their college experience because college ain't easy. Like, it's it ain't easy at all. <laughs> Listen, in my opinion, I think it would be well served for a lot of kids, not just hockey players, to take a similar route if it makes sense for them. From a financial standpoint, we see too many kids who are just going to college because they think they have to, and then they're spending five years or five plus years or bouncing around through majors. I think if they had the extra year or two, it might solve some of that uncertainty and actually save them a lot of money in the long run if they uh, had that opportunity. Yeah. So let's pivot for a second to your podcast, which is part of the Hockey Think Tank, which has been also very successful. Tell folks, what's the goal of the podcast and what do you attribute the success to? The goal of the podcast is, again, just kind of like the goal for the company. We want to just provide a lot of great hockey educational content and not even just hockey. It's kind of wrapped around hockey, but a lot of what we talk about is what we're talking about here today. It's a lot of stuff that translates into life. I think the success of the podcast has been the diversity and the great guests that we've been able to bring on. We've been able to bring on people from NHL Hall of Famers like Martin St. Louis to Women's Olympians. We just had on Jocelyn and and Monique Lamoureux, who scored the tying and game-winning goals for Team USA to win the gold medal in the Olympics in 2018. So people esteemed like that all the way down to, you know, youth hockey coaches and sports psychologists and nutritionists. And we just want to bring on a a wide array of guests that can help people, not just in hockey. Again, like I said, we talk a lot about hockey, but we've gotten a lot of feedback from people who got to the podcast who've never even considered playing or watching hockey before, but a friend of a friend told them you should listen. And and I think that's really cool. And my partner and I, Jeff Lavecchio, we're cousins and we're best man at each other's wedding and all that kind of stuff. So we got a lot of friendly banter going on around and we just have a good time with it. So it's been a lot of fun. We just, a couple weeks ago, just found out we've had our podcast downloaded over a half a million times. Congratulations. That's awesome thank stuff. You, yeah. Thank you. And, and again, it just goes to, we're not making a living off of this by any means, but from the feedback that we've gotten, we're, we seem to be having a bit of an impact on people and that's why we started it. And we're really excited about that. And the show is for parents, players, kids, youth, all 
some. Yeah, it's for everybody. That's another thing that's really cool about the feedback that we get is we'll have parents telling us that this really had a great effect on their son or their daughter. We've had coaches reach out to us saying, hey, we learned so much about some of the stuff that you were talking about, whether it was hockey stuff or whether it was culture stuff. And then we've had kids reach out saying, hey, you guys have been really inspiring because Jeff and I are very open. Both of us played professional and college hockey and have gone through a lot of ups and downs and we're very open about those things. And so I think a lot of people can relate to those kinds of things because, again, what we see on the internet and what we see on social media, a lot of the good stuff when it comes to these journeys are overemphasized and we don't understand the work that goes into it and, and the resiliency and the adversity that goes into it too. So we try to be as open as we can and talk about that stuff, which seems to resonate with a lot of people too. Yeah, I mean, even on the professional side, it's like people have this delusion of grandeur that it's such a great life and life and experience. And I know some guys who played and currently are playing and it's very arduous. I mean, you're basically eating when you need to eat. You're drinking when you need to drink. You're weighing in, weighing out. You're taking off days and maintenance days when you have to. As an outsider looking in, it looks fantastic. But when you get in and start digging deep, it's like any other career, right? If you want to be successful, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of effort that's got to be put into it and a lot of regiment. And I think that gets lost a lot of times because all we think about and see is the Rangers or the Bruins playing on TV tonight and what's going on there. Yeah, it's one thing to be playing in front of 20,000 people, right? But it's another thing. And I think the best, and I would imagine this kind of goes not just for athletes, but in people of all disciplines, they find a way to have fun and they find a way to enjoy the money mundane. Right. Because to become the best at something, you have to do the same things over and over and over and over again. And that can be very tedious. And not only that, but like my favorite stat that I talk to every kid about when I do all my team building is that almost 90% of players playing in the NHL had to spend time in the minor leagues. So again, we think about the Crosbys and the Ovechkins and the Panarins and all that kind of stuff. And we think that that they're there on talent alone. And there are some that are there on talent alone. There's no question. But most of the players in the best league in the world got cut and Mm -hmm. had to fight adversity. And I just think that's a really special thing about professional sports. And I think I wish that we highlighted those things more because I think it would do a lot of good for a lot of kids that have hopes and dreams and aspirations that, hey, it ain't easy. (laughs) And so these tough things that you're going through right now, everybody goes through them. (laughs) Yeah. When you were talking about path before, you know, I'm thinking, you know, look at a guy like Neil Pionk, who's doing really well and he went undrafted and got picked up. So everybody's got a different path. And I agree. I think if we spent some more time highlighting those kind of stories, it might damper some of the uh, crazy, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And even in business, I mean, people that build Fortune 500 businesses built them from nothing, most of them. And they failed. And it wasn't straight up. No. (laughs) No. And it probably wasn't their first shot at trying to build something either, right? Yeah. You look at all the successful coaches that are at the top of their professions right now. They all started as volunteers somewhere Mm -hmm. and had to work their way up. Lawyers have to clerk and like it just everybody starts for the most part at the bottom. And I think just think it's something we need to talk about a lot more. 100%. Do you see anything changing with the game of hockey? You're very involved with it. Do you see the sport changing at all in the foreseeable future, whether it's on the youth level or the pro level? Do you see changes coming down the pike? Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about sports is that it's always changing. And the people who are adapting with the changes, those are the ones that are going to end up being successful. And I actually think that's real big attribute of a lot of successful coaches are the people that are able to balance the old school with the new school. And they're able to balance 
balance their values and their principles with maybe the way that the game is being played or how you need to interact with players or whatever it may be. They find that balance and I think that's really cool. The game of hockey itself, I think, is changing and there's always a yo-yo effect or a pendulum effect of things swaying back and forth. From a hockey technical side, I think the game has changed a lot in the last, I would say, probably decade with the emphasis of skill development in hockey, which I think is good. I think it's a really good thing, but I think at this time, it's almost too much swayed in that way where we've forgotten hockey is a team game and you have to know how to learn to play hockey as a team. And so I think you're going to see it swinging a little bit back towards that way in the next five to 10 years as well. We like to joke that hockey's become almost like an Instagram sport now because (laughs) you have all these coaches and players that are doing all these like crazy moves and all this stuff on Instagram, which is good because it helps promote the game. But at the same time, you do those moves one out of every 15 to 20 games, (laughs) you know, and they never work. So it's like teaching kids how to kind of learn how to play the game and the ins and outs and the concepts. I think that's something that you'll see, I think, swing back, emphasize a little bit more. Yeah, my son tried to pull off a Michigan a couple weeks ago. Yeah, there and you he, go. He got it up and ended up throwing it right in the goalie's glove. Oh, so no. <laughs> he got it done, but just didn't get it in the back of the net, got it in the back of the goalie's glove netting instead. Oh. But uh, he was so excited to get the clip off the video and show it to us. And he's like, man, he goes, I got to try it one more time. Yeah. You know? So I think those are the kind of things you're speaking to where Instagram worthy and trying to get that clip that that you can uh, share with your friends and family, right? Yeah, and I'm not saying don't be creative and don't try fun <laughs> stuff. You know, that's always good, but... Pick your spots. Pick your Yeah, there you go. Pick your spots. <laughs> there you go. So listen, what's the next big thing for the Think Tank? Oh, man, we got a lot of things on the go right now. We are in the process of signing a deal with a podcast company to, to try and continue to get that going. We're in the process of signing some deals with some other kind of like hockey education companies and websites so we can provide even better content for the people that are trying to get a little bit better without the game. Those things will be coming out here in probably the next couple months or so. And again, like I said, our company was founded based upon bringing great hockey people together that are passionate about the game. And that's our goal. It's always been our goal. And I would love to continue to do that and and just keep moving the game forward. Yeah, that is awesome. And that's why we love the Think Tank and everything you guys are doing. And I really appreciate you taking the time out. And we end every show by asking our guests the same question, which is, because this is the Midland Money Mindset, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? You know, it's funny. So it kind of goes along like with this entire conversation, but we found out from one of my former teammates' wives just through email that he had open heart surgery last week and he's fine. And so she had put together an email to send to a bunch of us because she was asking us to put like a little like minute video or something together just to wish him well and a speedy recovery and all that. So we're all replying all to that email right now, just right back in the locker room in the old days, just ribbing each other and a lot of inside jokes and things like that. So that's put a huge smile on my face today. And anytime you can reconnect with guys that you went to war with back in the day, it's always a special thing. So connecting with former teammates, I don't think there's anything better. And that's certainly made today a lot better. That's awesome. That makes me smile too, even though I don't know who he is, but I'm glad he's well. And I'm having flashbacks to some of the uh, craziness that I've done over the years as far as with teammates and stupid things in the (laughs) locker room like we've all done. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Topher. If people are trying to learn more about you and the Think Tank, we will have the information in the show notes, but how do they connect with you? 
Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. I'm pretty active on social media. So my Twitter and Instagram is just at Tolfer Scott underscore. And then our website is thehockeythinktank.com. And so got a lot of cool stuff on there. Again, we've got a players, a lot of stuff for players, a lot of stuff for parents, a lot of stuff for coaches out there. We actually just came out with the hockey parent survival guide to help a bunch of hockey parents that are looking that are, this is a stressful time right now for hockey parents trying to figure right. out next year, which is just head scratching, but it is what it is. But yeah, the hockey think tank.com and pretty active on social media, probably the best places to find me. Awesome. So thank you again for uh, being a guest on the Midland money mindset and make it a great day. Yes. Thank you. I want to thank Topher Scott for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Topher has founded a community of people passionate about the game of hockey, no matter how they are connected to the game. Through his efforts, he is growing the game in a tremendous way. Topher's content and workshops are impacting the youth in a positive way and will only lead to the greatest sport on ice being that much better. Topher Scott and the Hockey Think Tank can be found across all social media platforms. All of the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.